expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. It's not another dimension. You've reached episode 83 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where most of the time, not even the shadow knows what we're doing. I, I don't even know what we're doing today. I don't. We just linked up, and now we're talking to each other, and I don't know what the fuck's going on. But, but sometimes that's how brilliance happens. Yeah, it is how brilliance happens. I'm the Merc with one arm, Nick Pataglia, alongside the one and only... I'm James Witham, and thank you so much for tuning into our show last week, our interview with David Harewood from Supergirl, and he gave us a lot of great inside information, and I know that once that show debuts on October the 26th, people are going to appreciate it maybe a little bit more after hearing what he had to say. Exactly, and the thing is, we're going to have him back on the show. It's already been pretty much agreed upon. We're going to have him back on the show mid-season, and... You know, remember he said something interesting was going to happen in episode 7, so could we see Hank Henshaw turn to Cyborg Superman? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it could be... That's the thing about that show. It could be so many different things. That's what I That's what I love about it, and that's one of the things I'm looking forward to the most about it. Yeah, exactly, man. I mean, you know, again, it debuts on the 26th at 8.30 on CBS, and, you know, that's the thing, is that you, you look at this show, and, what, and we were talking to him last week, and, again... When you have somebody on as for an interview, and they're just so excited, like so ecstatic about their project, that's awesome because it just knows that you got something good there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And it's not like he wrote it or anything. You know, no. he's just starring in it with a bunch of great actors and actresses. And if you're that excited, and it's not something that you're like personally involved in, like you wrote it or you directed it or you created it or whatever. If you're still that jacked for it. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, and I also want to give a quick shout-out to, to our buddy Martin, Martin Garrow over at Blindspot. Everybody over at Blindspot, they got the full season order, which is awesome. Yes. So congrats to them on that. Great show. It's number one on Mondays for, like, since it debuted pretty much. And uh, big congrats to them, James. But, I mean, you know, we got pretty much a jam-packed show this week. But can I just point out really quick that that's why you need to be listening to our interviews? Because did Martin oh, yeah. Garrow not say that something huge was coming in Episode 3? I haven't watched episode three yet, so don't spoil it for me. Just saying, <laughs> he said it, and it happened. Uh-huh. Just saying, you know, things that he said they were going to give you loaves, and he he almost gave us the bakery. Right now. <laughs> just, just saying some crazy stuff happens. But no, we, we've always got a jam-packed show, and you know what we're going to do just, cause, just to be dicks? Yeah. We're, we're just not going to tell you what it is. Yeah, we're not going to tell you. I mean, I mean... You, you're just going to have to listen and find out. Well, I mean, of course, if you're reading the title of the show, you'd know yeah. where it is. But... <laughs> well, nobody likes to read, though. No, unless it's true. Unless it's comics, of course. Unless it's comics or it's one of those memes that just falsifies information. <laughs> so as we just talked about people not liking to read, guess what we have? We've got two new comics that we read, and we're going to review them next coming up on Down and Nerdy. <laughs> this is Abby Darkstar, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We take out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week. Of course, this segment always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragorn Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great things he has for yourself and the nerds in your life. So, James, I'm going to go first this week. And I went, well, let's just say I knocked on your neighbor's door at D.C. And I said, nice. let me back in. 
because, you know, there's been one character I've always wanted to get into for a long time. And, you know, I only have a couple comics and, you know, I am a big Green Lantern fan. However, I did want to start getting into Superman. Okay. And so I decided to, instead of going to the main run, because I've heard some negative things about the main run, I decided to take a look at Superman, Lois and Clark, number one from DC Comics. Okay, that sounds like a good choice. Now, I'm not going to lie. When I first saw the title, I literally thought it was a um, a, a comic about the TV show from the 90s. <laughs> that would be something. Although, I can't, I can't say that that might be too far off. Well, no, I, I was actually like kind of hoping for that. Cause I'm like, oh, it's Lois and Clark. Like, they're actually doing, I'm like, oh. But, uh, no, it's written by Dan Jurgens. Uh, the penciler is done by Lee Weeks. Lee Weeks is the penciler on this. Inks are done by Scott Hanna, and the colors are done by Brad Anderson. Now, James, you read Convergence. I didn't, so if I miss anything, let me know. I got gotcha. you. Uh, fill me on any blank spaces. So it takes place after Convergence, and it's pretty much listing up, and, and Lois Lane is narrating it, and she's talking about how you know they, they fought Darkseid and everything else like that, and they got to choose like a different realm and stuff like that, different Earth to live on. Uh, because of Brainiac. And so Superman and Lois have a baby named Jonathan. And the thing is, they're on this different Earth, and they're having to get used to this new world that they're on, particularly because, you know, this, again, this isn't a regular run, but, you know, here's the thing. They have to be different on this Earth because there's already Clark Kent on that Earth, so they have to take up the name of White, pretty much. They have to change their last name. And even Superman himself, Clark Kent from the previous Earth, has to go underground with his Superman operations. He even has a new suit. It's black and white so nobody can detect it. And pretty much, they're on this farm and they're just having to be low-key and everything else like that. Like Even Lois Lane isn't a really a reporter anymore. She is pretty much like going under, under the anonymous like writer X. Right. So she's trying to keep her because they can't let anybody of that earth know that there's another Lois Lane and a Clark Kent there slash Superman. Plus, the people there kind of don't like the Superman that they have. Right, which is ironic because at the end of Convergence, uh, people will remember they got to choose where they wanted to go. Right. So they chose to go to this earth, which is kind of ironic seeing how, like you said, they don't like the Superman that's in that earth. Right. And so, again, he becomes under operation. And I got to tell you, the writing by Jurgens is really, really good. And his comedic, his comedic timing in there, it works. There's a scene, or a panel, I should say, where Superman's like, oh, you seem cold. And the next thing is just him using his heat vision to start a fire. I found that kind of funny. Nice. Like it's, 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 <laughs> and uh, there's little little pieces where I found it funny. And the writing is really, really good. However, in the art, you know, it's your your nice art for, you know, a DC comic, you know, it's, it's your basics. It's not too flashy. It's not, it's detailed, but you know what I'm saying? It's not basic at all. It's, it's nice. It's not like the art from say justice league. No, it's That's not what you're saying. No, it's not. Now here's where I fall into my big problem with this comic. So I'm going through issue one and I'm pretty much like, okay, you know how you have a drink of something and you say, Oh, this tastes good, and you throw it up immediately afterwards, like a few seconds later. Can't say I've ever had that happen to me, but go on. <laughs> well, I had. So anyways, I'm reading through, I'm like, yes, okay, awesome, this this is great, good, tasty, yes, awesome. Get to the last page, literally the last page, which is going to try to set up the, I guess, this other arc within the comic. And it's one of those things where it's like, 
you know, somewhere distant in a different in a different solar system. And I got a very Guardians of the Galaxy vibe to it, and here's why. It felt like the people, you know, Jurgens and the people over at DC are trying to create their own version of Ronan the Accuser. And they're and it feels like they're trying to create their own Infinity Stone arc. I mean, it's hard to say because you know you've got the the uh, of course you've got Kryptonite that gets worked in there. You've got you know Lantern Rings. Although I don't think that's going to be a part of any of that. It just seems weird that that it would seem like an Infinity Stone type thing. Well, and here's why: because the end, the guy is this person you don't see his face at all. You know, I, I got an idea who it is. I talked to you about who I think it is, but I don't want to say who it is because in case I am right. You know, I don't want to, I want to be a spoiler right, at all. Right, exactly, yeah. But the way that this person is acting, it's very Ronan the Accuser-esque. Okay. And the reason why I say it's, it feels like Infinity Stones is because he's talking about getting stones. And one of the main things is this big cube-looking thing, and it's like a Power Stone-esque kind of thing. And it first reminded me of the Tesseract. So I'm like, oh my god. Please tell me they're not lifting certain lore from Marvel to make it well, their own version. Well, I think that what the what I would probably have to do is pour through canon over the years and see if there's any precedent uh, in DC for something like this. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy being rather new, there might be some sort of precedent in the in the DC universe for this. And I, I've never been deep into Superman runs either. You know, I was always more of a Batman guy. Yeah. Anyway. So. To say that I am all up to date on everything that is canon with Superman would not be accurate, but uh, I, I can certainly t- do some digging and find out if there is some sort of precedent for this, and or if they're just taking a different angle on something that's been done before in Superman. Well, I mean, you are the all-knowing DC guy, so yeah, if I do some research on that, let me know. Yeah, but I'll I mean, it, up. it felt, but it felt very abrupt. And well, felt, the, the timing felt, is what you're saying is what's throwing you off. Yeah, yeah, it felt very abrupt, and it felt it felt very out of place, especially for what the first two, the so mostly well, three acts, except for that last page, set up. And then when you do that whole on another world stuff at the end of anything, whether it be a TV show, a movie, something like that, it always leaves you with that, oh, this is so awesome, or really? Those yeah, are your and, only and two it, options. Yeah, really. and it left me with the latter, which I'm like, really? So... I'm very, 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 you know, uh, you know, leery and just kind of worried. I'm very, very, very worried going forward about them embracing this other arc about this whole different world, this outside threat, trying to get these like stones for whatever reason or whatever. Because only reason because again, Guardians of the Galaxy is is so new right now, and I know it's been out for a while, but I mean it's new right now in the geek world because people know who they are and everything else and the whole mythos for the most part. But it, it, it's too new, and I feel like it felt kind of like they just said, "Okay, what do we need? We need another arc." Oh, let's kind of copy what they're doing here and lift it. Um, but for me, it's a pickup, and it's, it was it, it would have been a pull. Had that last page not happened. So you're sitting there at a four-way stop in a, in a small country town. You get that flashing red light going, but you're not sure if the tractor is coming to bear down on you or not. So you're not moving your car until you're absolutely sure this is the way you want it's, to go. I feel like Marty McFly sitting in the truck and Niels has just challenged me to a race, but I'm just sitting still there at the stoplight and just hoping that that truck doesn't hit me. Well, hopefully your engines stay revved and it's something that you will want to go on that path going forward. Because I know you've got a three-issue rule. 
That's yeah, that's right. So I did the Man of Steel, James. Now you did the Man of Iron this week. Yeah, it's funny that you mention a character that you've always wanted to kind of get into because I've kind of felt the same way about Iron Man. I've been looking for a good spot to jump in. You know, I tried Superior Iron Man, and that was kind of yeah, I was a little interested in it, but I kind of faded on that. So I decided since we're going all new and all different with Marvel. To go with the Invincible Iron Man number one, which came out this past week from Brian Michael Bendis, who wrote it. David Marquez, who was the artist, colors by Justin Ponser, and letters and production, by the way, by VC's Clayton Cowles. And it's interesting because it doesn't actually start out with Iron Man. Yeah. It starts out with one of the big bads from the series, and I don't know if I want to spoil who it's going to be or not. It. There's actually two potential big bads in this first issue. Okay. So I will not spoil who there are. One, I will say that one is male, one is female. Okay. That much I will tell you. But uh, once you get past that initial part, uh, basically you see Tony and he's in his workshop. And somebody is basically, I, I will spoil this a little bit. Somebody's basically taken the designs for the Mark suits and just put them online. Okay. Just sort of hacked it, put everything out there. So now Tony's technology is like yesterday's news kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's literally yesterday's technology. Everybody has it. So he's in his lab like, you know, I'm supposed to be innovative. I'm supposed to be the one that uh, that takes it to the next level. And he's working on a suit that's basically like nothing he's ever worked on before. Really? To try and make it new and adaptive sort of thing. Hmm. So I thought that that was a very interesting way to go because he's kind of doubting himself a little bit. Right. Well, I mean, anytime you have somebody something like that, like, especially again... Tony Stark has an ego, and when he sees all the stuff online, he's going to be like, well, this is all online now, so I got to, you know, being who I am, I have to be better and, and bigger in, in my suits and everything else like that and have something that nobody else has. It's kind of interesting because, you know, you talk about the whole adaptability, it has to adapt. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of two things. It makes me think of the symbiote, and it also makes me think a little bit of Extremis a little bit, like a, like a Mach 2 version of Extremis. It's definitely not uh, symbiote-esque. All right. I would lean more towards the the extremist sort of thing, but but and, and I don't really want to spoil that either. No, no, don't. I, I've I've said enough kind of thing, so I don't really want to spoil. I don't want to go all the way and spoil what it is. But we go from that and we kind of transition into the Tony Stark that we all know and love, and he's getting ready for a date with a very uh, with a very attractive woman from Sri. I think she's from Sri Lanka. I think uh-huh. that's where it was. And you know they they actually show you parts of the date, and she's this brilliant woman. Right. Uh, she's uh, she's developed develops technology of her own. So she's got something that supposedly cha- would change the world. And when they tell you what it is, I, I, I gosh, I want to spoil it so bad. Don't please but don't. I'm, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Let's just say that what this woman has developed, yeah, could really, really come into play in the Marvel universe of comics. Mm going forward should they choose to do so it was interesting that they put it in an iron man comic really i thought it was very interesting so i don't know if they're hinting at something i got an idea but i don't want to say what it is because in case i'm right <laughs> i mean and, and again I, I know people are probably saying why don't you just say it well you know if you want to read the issue for yourself well, also you let's, know? Be honest, let's also be honest we want people to read the issues for themselves so we don't really want to spoil it too much yeah 
But also, the comic did just come out this week, I believe. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'm just giving people a break here. But, I mean, Tony's very, he's doing his charming thing where he's being his smart-ass self. And right. he's trying to be flashy. He uh, he says at one point to Luman, would it impress you if I got Thor to show up? And she says, no, not really. And in the background, you can see the female Thor flying about. <laughs> and he kind of gives the nod, like, go away, go away, kind of thing. <laughs> so, I mean, if, you, if you're looking for a comic where you've got, like, classic Tony Stark and, and a little bit more towards the Robert Downey Jr. side of Tony. This is definitely it. See, when you said the whole Thor thing, I first thought of the male Thor because I'm like, if he's talking to somebody also, I'm like, you want me to have Thor to show up? Well, why? Because abs. Yeah. Because I thought it was the male Thor too. And then I, and then I went on and I saw that it was the female Thor and I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. Really. <laughs> so, um, but then, of course, as it always does, the date gets interrupted and Tony needs to go check on something at a certain castle. Right. And again, I can't tell you what the name of the castle is because it gives away the ending. It, it's Eureka's castle. Exactly. Actually, it's the castle from uh, Mr. Rogers where the little puppets were. Oh, yes. The time yes. Believe. Just telling you that that's a magical place. Um, I throw some bitching parties. So Tony, whose suit is now charged and ready to go, goes to check out things and find out why there's basically been some sort of a hostile takeover of this castle. Now where we end it is all that. First of all, he's about to get gunned down by all these thugs, Mm. but then one thing happens and everybody goes down. Yeah. Everybody. And that's when, well, the beat drops apparently. Oh, of course. Yeah. And they, they all whipped and nay nayed and they fell apart. (laughs) (laughs) It's like they see an animal house. They all hit the floor. Exactly. But, then you see the face of somebody that you're not expecting to see, especially not in this context. And I mean, I know it's been all over the internet. If you want it spoiled for you, you're going to have to go somewhere else. I'm just saying that the face you see at the end of this issue makes you go, oh my God, I can't believe they're bringing him in. So riddle me this with a man. How was the writing and how was the art? The writing was very, very appropriate for the subject matter being Iron Man. I mean, they definitely captured Tony Stark and Iron Man. They have an AI there, which kind of looks like Pepper Potts, but it's not um, that he conversates with. And she kind of wisecracks to him and kind of just like Pepper Potts does, won't put up with him kind of thing. So that was very good. Uh, The way it was drawn was very much like the Iron Man animated series. Right. It was very much in that ilk, so I thought that that was really that was really cool because I I always kind of liked that animated series anyway, and I always thought that was kind of a good look. I, I they didn't overdo the art. I mean, I know that it, you're saying, "What are you talking about?" Well, you can overdo it. You can make oh, it yeah. too detailed. You can make you know too much shining off the suit and stuff like that, trying to take away from the actual story to make the art look that much better. I think the art fit exactly the way the writing needed to be, and it's it's like when you when you get the one of those teams. Yeah. Where you're just like, yes, this just works. Well, this works for me. And I, as much, and I'm very happy to say that I think I'm going to be adding Invincible Iron Man to my poll. I was, I was very happy with it. It's exactly what I wanted. The funny thing is, I know Bob over Fancy Escape is listening to this, and he probably literally just went and just put it in your poll right now. He did. And he also went, wow, he finally added another Marvel book to his poll. <laughs> Christmas America. It's not just Star Wars anymore. It's not just Star- <laughs> He's kind of like 
<laughs> he's, he's kind of like that. Okay, you've seen the Muppet Christmas Carol, right? Oh yeah. Okay, you know that rabbit at the end, the little bunny that tell you know Scrooge tells him to go get the the, the turkey that's in the, uh-huh. in the window. Yep. That that's Bob, and your Scrooge is saying, "You there, comic book vendor? What is today? Well, today's Wednesday. Gee, you know that prized Iron Man comic you have? Yes. Well, put it in my pull. Really? And then he just goes all happy and gets uh-huh. it for you." Now, luckily, this Iron Man comic's not going to cost me, like, 50 gold sovereigns or something. <laughs> luckily, it's a little bit cheaper than that, so I'm a little grateful. Yeah. But, again, that's what we did this week for what we're reading. Come up next, we have This Week in Geek Tainment, and we're discussing Daredevil, the new Season 2 trailer from Netflix's Daredevil dropped today. And, uh, well, we're going to discuss and tell you what we think. It's coming up next here on Down Nerdy. Hey listeners, this is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil. I play Nobu, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Rev up the hype machine, boys and girls, because we're getting ready for Season 2 of Daredevil on Netflix. We had the trailer released at New York Comic Con, and Nick, we're going to talk all about it. As a matter of fact, it kind of started out with a big hype from Season 1. Yeah, first the first minute and a half, I would say, because it's like a two-minute some-odd trailer, was like the first minute, minute and a half was all just hype and all cut scenes and, and scenes from season one and just like, you know, gri- you know, have all the reviews of gripping, best thing on Netflix, mm. kind of stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, when is the season two trailer going to start? Yeah, I know. I was sitting there the same thing. I actually paused it a couple times and I watched it. I'm like, is this the right one? And I'm looking to see how much time was left. Well, I was pissed the first time. I watched it twice. And then I was pissed the first time because I'm like, okay, I saw it on YouTube and I'm like, Okay, um, am I, I feel like am I watching one of those things where it says you know Daredevil trailer, but it's not like a fan trailer or something like yeah, that, just yeah. like stuff. I'm like, okay, somebody's trolling me, and then like, oh, then you know the 30 seconds or whatever season two shows, mm-hmm. and a good amount of stuff happens. It not a lot, but my God, does it look like it's going to be darker, even more amped up than the first season, if that's possible at all? I mean, when they say they give you first looks at things. It's it's a look, all right. I mean, oh, yeah. it's it's a quick look of Electra. We get a quick image of Punisher, but kind of the main theme of the trailer is is that Matt Murdock still feels guilty yeah. for everything that's gone on with Foggy and what happened with in the first season. So it's a very interesting start to the second season. Oh yeah, I mean you had you had Ben Ulrich getting murdered in the first season by Kingpin and. You know, Daryl put Kingpin away, but again, it's the, then you have the whole line of you know your job's not done kind of a thing, and it's just you know it's it's really like we're seeing right now. I think we're seeing you know it, again, it's like we see in movies. You know, you have the rise and you have the fall or the judging of yourself, and then you have the rise again. Yep. This season's going to be the fall because the first season was, you know, I'm going to clean up Hell's Kitchen and everything else after the whole New York attack and Avengers and so and such. And now we got the Punisher coming in and we have Electra coming in. And so it's going to be that fall of Daredevil. And again, we still, we know that Punisher is giving Daredevil, you know, the beat around and stuff like that, you know, and Paris has been his enemy for the most of the runs and everything else. And, you know, but still there's that chance of like, we don't know why the Punisher is there. Right, exactly. And I mean, even the short glimpse you see of him, it almost looks like he's walking down a hospital hallway and yeah. he's armed and it's like, what's really going on here? And there's actually kind of a theme there because we also see, um, I can't remember her name. 
I know who you're talking about, yeah. You know you, you know who I'm talking about. Deborah Ann Wool's character. Yeah. We actually see her looking at brain scans of some kind or uh, or or x-rays of somebody's of somebody's head and it's like, okay, what is she looking at? But but if you look at the x-ray closely, it looks like the Punisher logo. Yeah, it really did. That's where I was like, is that the Punisher logo? Is this how they're kind of introducing the Punisher? And they're really laying the groundwork. I'm not saying this is the way it's going to be, but they're definitely laying the groundwork for Punisher being the, ironically, the big bad of season two. Yeah, man. Which I, I mean, think is cool because, you know, he's always on, you know, he's kind of always been on the fence in the comics. Sometimes he's yeah. on the good side. Sometimes he's on the bad side. And at some point in season two, are we going to see a turn? To the good or turn to the bad. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Part of me wonders this too, dude. I wonder if, and I hope they don't, but I'm just saying that. But again, it's Marvel and they're used to changing origins and stuff like that, or changing or adjusting things around. What if the reason why the Punisher goes after Daredevil or whatever is because maybe his family was lost in the attacks of the Chitari? Maybe. I mean, it, it could be some of that or, or something happened to a member of his family when he was trying to rescue a bunch of people or maybe he didn't get there in time kind of thing. Yeah. Or he ignored one thing to go take care of another thing. I mean, there, there's a lot that could get put in there. But And then you have Electra. Yeah. Now, I'm trying to figure out how she's going to fit in this soon in the story. And I'm thinking maybe Electra shows up because of how much... Daredevil's struggling with Punisher, so she shows up to kind of give an assist, even though he doesn't really know about her as much. Well, I think that she's going to play the love interest in season two, but I think also we're going to get... Yeah. <sighs> I don't know a lot about Elektra. Well, here's the thing. Does say. she show up as Elektra first, or does she show up... She shows up as Elektra Nachos first, and yeah. then the whole... It's going to have the reveal of... Matt not knowing who this masked person is, right. masked woman is, mm-hmm. then there's going to be some reveal, maybe like a, a final fight scene or really like that with the Punisher or whomever the, the big bad is. Because remember, it's some of the Punisher, but there could be somebody else at play here. And then it just comes at like, you know, he sees it's her kind of a thing, you know. And I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it, how it plays out. I'm, I'm interested. I think... I mean, the Punisher, yeah, John Bernthal's going to kill it as Punisher. Oh, no doubt. Literally kill it as Punisher. Oh, yeah. Um, But Elektra, I think, is the most interesting character coming into Season 2 right now because of the mysteriousness that comes around her, the aura that she's giving off so far. Just in this trailer, we only get a peek of her. So they're setting up this whole mysterious thing. I think she's going to have a big role that most people expect, I think. Yeah, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I mean, I know that we've we've said before when we talked about uh, Electra when we first found out about it, was is it too soon kind of thing. And I've kind of thought maybe I don't think it is because maybe this is the right time to bring her in because I, we know that Rosario Dawson is going to play some sort of a role in season two. And she was kind of the season one love interest, you know, entering new love interest slash partner in season two. And, and it, it adds to the intrigue, I think. Well, Rosario Dawson, she plays Night Nurse, and she's going to have a much bigger role in Jessica Jones. Yeah. So, because she's like her best friend, I believe. Yeah. So, 
we're going to have <clears> – <throat> so she's going to have more of a role in that. Like, she's going to make an appearance here and there in Daredevil, maybe in Iron Fist. I don't know. But she's mostly going to be, I think, a Jessica Jones character now. Yeah, I think so. But I do think that she'll still play somewhat of a role in Season 2 of Daredevil. I don't think she'll play the role that she did in Season 1, obviously. But as the love interest in Season 1, you've got to imagine that at some point they're going to peek her in every now and then. It's almost like the, oh, I've seen, you've got somebody new in your life kind of thing or something like that. Or <laughs> yeah. who's stitching you? up now kind of deal you know exactly so one final thing james before we move on to nerd news um what do you expect out of the season and what do you hope happens and what do you hope doesn't happen i expect a whole lot of pain i expect a whole (laughs) lot of intrigue and action and i kind of hope that they as much as i love them i kind of hope that the big reveal isn't that fisk was behind all of it yeah because I think just like Hydra in Agents of Shield, I'd like to see a break from that for a season. I don't want him to go away. I just want let's break from it for a season and then maybe season three later on down the line or something, he becomes a factor again. Right. That's what I hope we don't. I hope they don't rush him back. As much as I love him, as much as I want to see him back, I don't want to see him rushed back. I want to see him back in the right way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I know this this uh, this season's gonna be a, again a lot of pain. I mean, for Christ's sakes, the the you know Punisher is. I think we're gonna see the Punisher being played in a way that he's never been played before because mostly the reason being it's on Netflix. This and, is gonna be our most brutal version. Of oh the Punisher yeah, yet. I mean, no doubt about it. I have no doubt about that. Um, as far as, you know, the big reveal at the end, I don't think it's going to be Fisk. I don't think, because the thing is, I don't know if, I don't think he will. I don't think Fisk is going to be the big bad in this season. I think, you know, who knows who it could be. I'm not sure. Maybe, you know, could we get a thing with, with Bullseye or maybe... Who knows? Remember, it's ties in the Jessica Jones. Maybe Purple Man. Yeah, that could be. And, I wouldn't mind seeing the hand uh, yeah. revealed somewhere towards the end and maybe lead into a season three or even uh, leading into an Iron Fist or Luke Cage or something like that. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, again, we just don't know. So there's a couple. There's a couple. There's not a whole lot of options. There's probably three. I mean, it could go Kingpin. It could go the hand, which I kind of doubt. Even though, again, we had Pierce Shakota out who played Nobu and. Nobu might live, so you know you never don't know. know, man. You never, never know. know. You never know. But I mean, it's just you know, Purple Man. I think makes the most sense only because he's got to be. He's going to be the big bad in Jessica Jones, and they're going to you know maybe he plays a, a part in that you know kind of thing. Maybe. Well, and you don't know, forget. It, eventually, we need to find out who's going to be the big bad in the Defenders when they when we get that. That's far. true. So eventually we've got to start teasing that. I'm not saying it has to be now because that's ridiculous. But eventually, once once things start connecting themselves, we need to start figuring out who that might be or at least add a little intrigue into it. Watch, the big bad for the Defenders is the Jester. <laughs> <laughs> Just a big fuck you. <laughs> kind of like the big reveal at Batman Eternal. It was the Clue Master all along. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nice swerve, but, you know, it's like Clue Master? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's going to do it for our review of the Daredevil trailer. Come up next, we have a whole slew of nerd news, and it's come up next on Down and Nerdy. Hey, this is Jeff Lemire, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, it's time to go around the interwebs and see what's trending, because it's time for what, James? 
Nerd news! And very quickly before we dive into nerd news, I actually got a Halloween costume. I'm not going to say what it is. I'll post a picture up on our social media pages. It's going to be pretty epic for a party I got to go to on Saturday. I've also got a costume, and I will be doing the same at some point. Exactly. Maybe Saturday for Show Us Your Shirt Saturday. We'll yeah, show maybe, us some pillow costumes. Maybe we'll do that. That's a good idea. So that's our first piece of news. But our second piece of major news, or first piece of major news, how we want to spin it, Marvel and FX, James. Marvel and Fox. We know the whole debacle of Fantastic Four. However, there is an agreement between the two. Yeah, it looks like we're going to have a deal between 20th Century Fox and Marvel to bring two new series to FX and Fox. And this is TV series now. And these are in the X-Men universe, Nick, but not exactly X-Men per se. Yeah, we're going to give, of course, a a TV show that, you know, between these two people, they're going to have Legion, of course, which is going to be written and executive produced by Fargo creator Noah Hawley. Now, here's the thing, too, is also Hellfire is working title, too, which is going to, of course, surround the Hellfire Club. They're saying it's supposed to take place, like, what, in the 60s or the 70s around there? Yeah, something there. like that, yeah. Um, so they're going to be – it's going to be what Gotham is, I think, in a sense, kind of, but not in yeah, the I know, universe. I, I, know, I know what you're driving at. It's, it's Again, it's like – you know how Gotham is Batman, but not. So yeah. these are going to be X-Men, but not. Yeah. Kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's minorly disappointing because when the whole news came out about X-Men TV series, you know, we pontificated in past shows about what we think it might be and what, what it should be. And this doesn't even scratch the surface of what we were talking about, I don't think. No, not at all. And that fact, of course, has, uh, you know, like you're in the pilot orders and stuff like that. And uh, Hellfire, of course, created by Evan Katz, 24, Live Another Day, and then uh, Manny Cotto, who also did 24, Pat Patrick McKay from Star Trek 3, and J.D. Payne of Star Trek 3 as well is going to be working on it. I mean, this is interesting. You know, we're, I mean, all day and all week, really, we've been seeing, you know, did Marvel give up these rights to get this? Did Fox give up the rights to get that? You know, and, and while they've been disputed and stuff like that, and Fox apparently came out and said, you know, the rights are staying up for Fantastic Four staying here. I mean, I'm glad we're getting this, but it's kind of weird because I still feel even after this whole um, agreement that the two sides don't see eye to eye. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of a contentious relationship between 20th Century Fox and Marvel in the past. And yeah, there was a story that came out. There was a rumor that lasted like eight hours that uh, 20th Century Fox gave up the rights to Fantastic Four in order to do this. And... I never really thought that made sense. And of course that ended up being refuted by both Marvel and 20th century Fox. And this is why we don't run with these things when they first come out people. So if you wonder why we don't jump on every little piece of quote unquote news that's on the interwebs, this is why we wait because this isn't something that's actually happening. And given the result would 20th century Fox really give up fantastic four for hellfire and Legion. Yeah. Yeah. Doubtful. Doubtful because again, it's still not the whole X Men thing. Again, we're supposed to be getting another TV show soon. I believe that involves the X Men as well, but I think it's going to be on Fox, though. I think. I think it is something like that. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. But something that's also interesting, James, is Warner Brothers. And so we all know Pan came out this past weekend, right? Yeah. Well, let's just say that Warner Brothers. Well, actually, let's just not say, but let's say this is actually a report that came out that Warner Brothers could lose as much as, take a deep breath, 
$150 million on pan. And so you- basically, it's going to do exactly what we pretty much thought it was going to do back at San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, pretty much. And the big budget action adventure uh, movie crashed. It literally crashed. It earned just, get this, $15.5 million in North America. Now, I know a lot of... A lot of you are saying, well, Nick, what about overseas? Overseas must have done better because it always does better than most of the time in North America. Well, according to the Hollywood Reporter, they obtained the loss estimate from an analyst, a box office experts, and they only made $20.4 million overseas. That's not good. No. But you know what? And I like some of the stuff that Warner Brothers has, has done over the years, but you reap what you sow here. Did we really, did we need a, what, 14th iteration of <laughs> Peter Pan? Right. How many times can you tell this damn story? Right. Enough is enough already. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you had the whole musical Peter Pan, then you had the animated Peter Pan, you had Hook, of course, with Robin Williams. Which I loved, by the way. Yeah, Hook is amazing. I think it's still on Netflix. I might watch it later. But I think that when you look at Peter Pan, there's only so many ways. And again, this is an origin story and stuff like that. But again, you have, you know, Blackbeard in there as the main, you know, antagonist and Hugh Jackman. And nothing against Hugh Jackman, but from what I'm seeing, people are just saying, yeah, it just wasn't good. And the fact is they have Hook in there, but he's not really a pirate. He's kind of this Indiana Jones-esque guy and stuff like that. And, you know, we haven't seen the movie, but I'm only giving off from what I've seen for people I know who have seen it and what they're telling me. I mean, did you really need to see it? To no, know this was going to happen. I mean, <laughs> no. come on. I mean, it just it didn't look good. And again, no offense, Warner Brothers, but I understand you're trying to go with a known entity. And I know reboots and origin stories and all that stuff. They're all the rage now. But stop it. Yeah. Just stop it. Make yeah. movies out of Legos. Those seem to work out pretty well. But don't touch stuff like this anymore. It's just not working. Yeah, I just don't get it. I mean, I, you know, with Peter Pan, again, was, and again, I know they probably thought that they'd get a lot more in there because you got that family dynamic. It's a kid's movie. And plus, that's the thing, too, is right now it's the only kid's movie out right now, I believe, besides right. Transylvania 2. And, you know, that's the thing is that you they think, okay, we're getting this big name or, you know, this big box office weekend or at least a decent one because of the name recognition but as you go on man it's just peter pan i think outside of the peanut butter it's just not really sticking well to people well the thing is too is they didn't make it look like a kid's movie by the way i'm glad you actually jumped over my peter pan pun i actually jumped over your shadow at the same time oh awesome didn't see it i I know (laughs) but you're sneaky sneaky bastard but yeah. yeah but uh no, I mean, it's it's not surprising, but I mean, going forward, this is a big loss, man. This is I mean, like, this is huge. You lose more money than Fantastic Four. That's the, that's the standard now. No, when you're on track to lose as much as Green Lantern. You Actually, know, like, that would be more than Green Lantern, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's not good. And, that, and you know, that's Warner Brothers. So that's another bust for them. But Nick, we've also got a little bit of something else that's causing a little bit of a minor stir. That's right, James. So Daniel Craig plays James Bond. They're playing James Bond for a while now. Now, here's the thing. You know when an actor like Hugh Jackman has played a character like Wolverine for a long time, he'll say, you know, this is my final one. It's been an honor to play the character. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're doing an interview with, I believe, the London Press, and you tell people that you'd rather, I'm not lying, this is what he said in an interview, you'd rather 
break a glass and cut your wrist, and that's over pretty much because you don't want to play James Bond anymore. I mean, this is not something you want from no. somebody that's promoting a movie for a studio. And, you know, we've had people come on our show and say interesting things during interviews, stuff like that. But if he had said that during our interview, the first thing we would have done is look at each other or text each other and go, well, this is going to go viral for the wrong reasons. And it's at the point where, do you really want your star promoting this movie anymore? Probably not. And I, you know what? And Daniel Craig's made a lot of money making Bond films. And a lot of them have been very good. So he's very good at playing James Bond, but Dude, if you hated it this much, why did you come back for Spectre in the first place? Well, again, a lot of people are saying, like, they don't understand why he's saying this. Because it's like, dude, before this, did you really have much of a career? Like, did most people know who you were no. before you were Bond? No. And, people were, you know, a lot of people, I think even some of his castmates are kind of like, what the fuck, dude? Like, what are you doing? You know, like, this yeah, is Yeah, because this stupid. is their careers, too, man. Well, I mean, it's not like nobody's going to go see it because the matters, it's still James Bond. Well, in fact, a big part of the story that we haven't gotten to yet is that, you know, according to New York Post, page six, uh, pretty much the studio's telling him to shut up. <laughs> and you know what? I think he needs to shut up. Yeah. Because, I, I, okay, we get it, dude. But this is the kind of thing that you say... In an interview, when you've been done playing James Bond for a year, a couple years or something like that, you want to come out and say it then and be like, man, I really wish I could have just broken a bottle and just ended it all right there and slipped my wrist. I I don't want to play James Bond anymore. You want to say that later? Fine. That's okay. And then tell people why. Cool. You don't say it while you're promoting the movie. How does that make any sense? I mean, people got on Josh Trank for what he did when he talked about Fantastic Four during the release. To me, this is a million times worse than that. Yeah, I mean, it's just... I look at this dude, I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, you know, Spectre's going to be a big hit, I think. A lot of people are looking forward to it. You know, especially coming off of Skyfall. And it's just like, what are you doing, man? You know, I mean... You're going off. You're saying, "Oh, I want to play somewhere." Listen, I know. Of course, of course, according to a source, they claimed that they had problems issue with the script. Craig was injured on set, and he needed knee surgery because of that. And then they were just doing reshoots still last month, and they were just saying that it was very difficult to shoot. Listen, I've been on film sets before. Granted, they haven't been like month long ones. They've been more like you know week two week ones. I understand that times get tough. I understand that actors get pissed and things happen. But you gotta be more professional, man. Harrison Ford broke his friggin' leg. On Star Wars, yeah. And Harrison Ford's like 70 years old. Yeah. Okay? Did you hear him say, oh, I'd rather turn a blaster on myself than play Han Solo again? No! (laughs) I mean, you might see Bill Murray... come on! You might see Bill Murray saying he wanted to uh, shoot himself with a proton pack before appearing in other Ghostbusters, but, I mean, that's another well, story. Well, that's a little different. It's <laughs> a little different. But, uh, again, I just don't get it. I understand you have problems with it, but, again, I know it's a while out before the movie comes out, but what are you doing, though, dude? Well, I don't let me get put it, it this way. If, if, if Ryan Reynolds didn't come out after Green Lantern and say, I would rather hit myself over the head with a green hammer... And yeah. bust my skull open, then play Green Lantern again. Then Daniel Craig should not be saying this. These movies have been successful. Making movies is hard. 
We yeah. all get that. You don't need, you don't even need to be on a film set to know that. Anytime you watch behind the scenes stuff, you could see it's a grueling process. Could be any time of day, any time of night, for hours on end, for months. Yeah. We get it, okay? It's okay. But to come out and say this and pretty much, you know, that's a defamation kind of thing. Could you imagine if one of us came out and said something like that about <laughs> this movie? They'd be looking at us and be like, hey, you need to shut your mouth there because this is very disparaging about our product or, and we're going to sue you. Or imagine if we said about the podcast, our podcast itself. Imagine if we just went on the air and said, you know, I'd rather hurt myself and harm myself and do another show. Like, it's just, I think people would react. They'd be pissed. Not to know? mention when you've got actors that have committed suicide and oh, stuff yes. like that. I mean, it's, I'm not going to be that guy, but it is a little in poor taste to say something like that. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy, but at the same time... Yeah, you, didn't need, you didn't need to say it. No. You know? No. And you, and you knew it was going to get out. Yeah. And speaking of things getting out, a company that's actually trying to make things stop from getting out is Square Enix. Now, Square Enix released a game called Dragon Quest Heroes on PS4. And, of course, you know, people stream it. You know, there are people that, you know, will put up, like, a game walkthrough to help people out, you know, if you're stuck on a certain area. Yep. Or, of course, you know, as we go back to one of our previous shows, the whole PewDiePie thing and, you know, watching people play games. Here's the problem, though. Square Enix, you can't stream on Twitch with the music on. So you have to be silent music or some other music, which you don't have the rights to. So it's like, either way, you have to stream silently on Twitch. And here's another thing. I want to bring this up, too. Streaming on Twitch is absolutely fine if you want your music on. This is what a company spokesperson said, but pay important notice to this. It said, YouTube is currently the only video service in the West approved to use if there is music on in the video. We are seeing right now, and this is a dangerous game, a video game people are playing, especially, you know, the, the, the voice actors threatening to strike as one thing, but we're seeing exclusivity when it comes to streaming services. It certainly seems like it's starting to trend that way. And that was one of the things that struck me too. Cause remember YouTube has music rights because they do a lot of stuff with Vivo and stuff like that. And they've got a lot of music rights already. And I think that's why they're able to do this And Twitch doesn't. Now they also did say that Twitch, they won't block you from streaming on Twitch, but you could run into copyright issues, yeah. which has been a big, big deal in the past. And of course, uh, Kotaku reached, reached out to Square Enix and they got these uh, permission for distribution rights. Oh, yeah. Which is basically your basic... I mean, we won't really go over all this stuff. It's basically this your typical terms of service type deal where they say that they're not responsible if, you're, if you end up getting sued by a third party. One of the things that they brought up, Nick, was the Japanese Society for Rights and Authors Composers, which is JASRAC. Yeah. And... Basically, Jasrak at one point, according to this article, demanded that 30,000 videos be removed because of these music rights. Yeah. That's serious stuff. That's a lot of videos. Well, and Jasrak represents a bunch of really powerful companies. They represent Pony Canyon, Sony Music Entertainment Japan, Universal Japan, AVEX Japan, Warner, to Warner Japan, and etc. And when they people found out they made that request... It made a lot of big splashes everywhere, and especially because, you know, the thing is that made it was that 
uh, Article 2B, which says, you know, the whole streaming is limited to video share sites that have consent agreement in place. So it's it messes up streaming as a whole. Like, can I stream here or, or else will my video get taken down? Can you imagine? Because, I mean, let's not jump on the upside of the coin here. Say, for instance, we do the whole, you know, play with me in terms of watch me play video games. And we get paid for that. Say we got paid for that. Okay, well, in order for us to get paid, we need to have proof of us playing the game, correct? Right. So what if we do that and we played this game and we got it uploaded and before the people could actually see it or even before they could click on the link, it got taken down because of these 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 rights issues? I mean, and, and you always got to be careful with music rights anyway, no matter where you are. But one of the things that kind of struck me, uh, one of the statements, again, from Kotaku that uh, was talking to Square Enix, and they put this specifically in bold print. And I'm going to read this for you word for word. This is a quote that we think is from Square Enix, according to the way it's written here. It says, Square Enix is not responsible for any disputes or conflicts that arise between any player and a third party from the use of DQH content. Yeah. Square Enix is really really doing everything they can to try and have their cake and eat it too here. It's oh, yeah. like it's like okay, here, listen. We don't want you to take your videos down, but we're just letting you know that if you do this, you're opening yourself up to potential lawsuits here. Yeah. Now, it doesn't even just go for that. Final Fantasy is the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it goes on to say that if you're going to do a screen grab of Final Fantasy, that you have to have Final Fantasy is a registered trademark of Square Enix Holdings, Holdings Company, LTD. Which, I mean, if you look at a lot of images, you have that stuff. I mean, even in images that we've done for the podcast, yeah. we'll say uh, this image is copyright of NBC television or CBS broadcasting, stuff like that. Yeah. Because... That's what they want you to do. That's part of the agreement. That's fine. But the whole music rights thing, you can't just stick that on a music track. Well, and here's something that's even more you know, harmful, too, is that you know, as we read the articles further, pretty much Square Enix also basically outlined in their conditions of use that even if you follow all the guidelines correctly, they still have the right to take down your video, which is yep. very fucked up in my opinion. Yeah, well, here's the question, though. The big million-dollar question is, is the gamers are a defiant lot, okay? Oh, yes. So is this going to stop anybody from just doing whatever the hell they want to do? No, because if you watch social media, the gamers have been pointing at this and laughing at it. They're like, are you yeah. serious, Square Enix? You're going to be doing this? And they just keep on doing it. And it's just it's one of those things where I look at it, it's just, uh, you know, I, I, I don't get it, man. I, I mean, you're, you're, you're Square Enix. You have RPG people eating out of the palm of your hand with Pretty all much. the great stuff you put out. Yeah. And then you go back and you say, you know what? We know you love posting videos of our stuff, which even would help us because it would make people want to go out and buy the game more because people see other people enjoying our products. But you know what? We're going to take your stuff down because of these reasons. And again, there's not like they're not serious reasons. It's copyright. But still, when you pretty much say, even if you follow all of our rules, you still get kicked out. Like, are you still your stuff still gets taken down? Like, that's horrendous. It's like, it's like going to an art exhibit saying I followed all the rules of the art exhibit or whatever, and my piece still gets taken down. You know what's funny? It, could you imagine if they've got, like, remember the library cop bookman on Seinfeld? You yeah. think they got one of those guys trying to track all these people down? It's like, see here, Jimmy, you're not allowed to stream that game, see? I know you think you're a hot shot gamer and all <laughs> that, 
but you're violating the rules, and the rules still mean something to me. They might not mean something to you, punk, but they still mean something to me. It's like a Joe thing. Friday kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> are we going to go all dragnet and hunt these gamers down? Yeah. I don't think you are, and if you're Square Enix, shouldn't you make more time trying to get bugs out of your games than trying to track down people that are streaming content on Twitch? Come know. on, man. Yeah, it, it's just, it, it doesn't fare well. Again, and we'll I see. love Square Enix. Yeah, and we'll see how this goes moving forward. I, it's going to be interesting to kind of see, again, going back to the whole exclusivity of streaming when it comes to certain music or whatever features of a game. You know, are we going to, it's going to pit Twitch against YouTube gaming even more. And it's yeah. going to, in the end, what these companies are going to be doing is I think they're going to end up splitting the gamers. Um, the, the 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 whole gaming unit as a whole, the whole all the gamers and everything else, right. because it's going to be like, well, you got Twitch versus YouTube. They're making Twitch and YouTube, I you think, what? to turn out to look like kind of like uh, Xbox and PlayStation. And you know what? There's enough exclusivity problems in the video game world as there is. Yeah. You don't need to add any more exclusivity problems to video games. It's already ridiculous enough. Let's not add one more problem with streaming. Well, and here's a problem, too. It's here's fun, a... and it's going to make people not want to do it as much. You know what exclusivity means to me or says to me when you see something like this, when it comes to like YouTube, you can do this on YouTube, but you can't do it anywhere else. It shows that one party is desperately behind in the game when it comes to getting people on their service or their game or whatever or system, mm. and they're doing it as an attempt to look at to go me, 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 me kind of a thing. Well, they want the monopoly is what they want. And I think oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just saying that I think YouTube gaming wants to be, you know, they just launched and they launched after Twitch, but they want to take Twitch down because YouTube it's, feels like they're the big what? boy. Yeah. And that's it. You know what this reminds me of? You ever seen the movie The Devil's Advocate? Mm-hmm. Well, Pacino and Keanu Reeves. It's like that scene where Al Pacino's like, you can touch, but don't take, you know, yeah. you look, and, but don't do this. Yeah. And that's what it is with Square Enix. Square Enix is going, you can play your game, but you can't have the music on. Yeah. Hoo-wah! Yeah, definitely don't, don't do that. You can't, yeah, you can't do that. But something we are going to be doing, our main topic this week, in lieu of a guest this week, we're going to be talking about San Diego Comic-Con and New York City Comic-Con. We're going to compare and contrast which one's better, what can they learn from each other. Find out next on the main topic of Down and Nerdy, this week's main topic, coming up next. Hi, this is Jason Hamlet from Superdog. Now you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, nerds, normally this is the time where we'd introduce you to our next guest, but we decided to give the comic creators and those in TV and movies a little bit of a break this week so we could talk some con talk. Because, Nick, this past weekend was New York Comic Con, very highly attended, and we've kind of had a little bit of a discussion about, you know, is New York Comic Con becoming a serious competitor for San Diego Comic Con? So we thought we'd kind of compare and contrast the two and sort of see where we're at. It's kind of like the Biggie and Tupac of Comic-Cons. Oh, yeah. It's time to throw down. <laughs> well, as somebody who's lived on both coasts, I lived in, I didn't live in San Diego, but I did live in L.A., and, of course, I lived in New York. Um, I'll say this. New York Comic-Con, here's the big differences. When San Diego Comic-Con, the entire city transforms for Comic-Con, like restaurants change their name yep. to match up with comic book characters and it just feels like you're walking in a comic book because I've had friends that have gone there and everything else. We both have friends that had gone there. Oh, yeah. Um, and then New York Comic Con, 
it's just in one place. Now, from what I'm hearing, they're expanding it out more to like Times Square and certain areas. But again, I mean, it's New York City, so you're not going to cover the entire city. Yeah, nothing's going to take over New York. I, I mean, mean you're not, you're unless it's to, the Olympics or something. You're not going to go to Hell's Kitchen, which is now Clinton, and be like, New York Comic Con. You're like, you're, you know, here, come to Hell's Kitchen, the actual one, and get shot. Could you imagine? Um, could you imagine? Comic-Con on Broadway, start spreading the issues (laughs) I'm reading today. (laughs) I want to be a part of it. Bags and boards, bags and boards. Okay, 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 I'm done. I'm done. That song went about five bars too long. All right, I'm done. Okay, good. I promise I'm done. That just happens on this show sometimes. Exactly. But anyways... You know, it's at the Javits Center, and I've you know, it's about they've have they've kind of expanded a little bit. There's more to do in certain areas now. Now we don't have the official numbers for this year's con because again, it was just, just this past happened. weekend, and I've looked for numbers. The only thing I could find was from last year. So last year they had 151,000 attendees in 2014, and here's the thing, though, you're hearing things about cons about how they're counting people. And this is not just New York and San Diego, by the way. This is all cons. Yeah. Now, you have people that get badges, yeah, so they can kind of keep track of that. However, you have the people at the doors, the little clickers, and they're counting how many people come in, so they can have like a tally, a final tally, and stuff like that. Well, there's been talk that they've been, you know, double counting people as they've been leaving, and they come back in, they count them again, you know, and stuff like, like that, you know. Oh, no and, doubt about it. Now, I understand certain cons will give you, like, a stamp to show, so that way they, you know, they can show that you're mm-hmm. just coming in again. Um, but my thing is, you know, we can't nail label down which cons are doing it in terms of the, the double counting. But, again, that's it, – it's hard for me to see a Comic-Con that's in one place. Now, Grand San Diego Comic-Con is in one place, too. However, compared to an entire city turning into a Comic-Con – Compared to New York, it's kind of hard for me to see that 151,000 people went to, to the con. Well, I mean, especially, like you said, in the venue that they had. And San Diego's already talking about how they would need to expand their venue. So, I mean, there's a compare and contrast to which venue's bigger kind of thing. And both cons are about the same amount of time, too. So it's not like right. one's longer than the other. I think San Diego's more of an event than New York oh, yeah. is because it's it's been around longer and that's just, you know, where people know to go for the major Comic-Con. But I think what we're seeing is more of a trend. And the reason that we're bringing this up is I think every year, more and more movie studios and TV and even comics companies, I think are starting to embrace New York more right. every year because I don't think we had nearly as much news from New York Comic-Con Last year at this time that we did this year, I mean, there was just a ton all over the place. Our emails were blowing up from all the comic book companies that were there giving us all the news. And, you know, we got trailers that dropped there. I don't remember a single trailer dropping there last year. Not one, not of any significance anyway. So with Daredevil coming out there and they screened Jessica Jones there, which they obviously didn't have the opportunity to do at San Diego. Now, I know people are saying, well, they screen pilots all the time at San Diego, and they've got a bunch of different stuff. Yes, that's true, but nobody's really been able to catch up to San Diego. Right. Well, San Diego's had a head start for the most part, and the thing yeah. is, you know, this 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 year alone, San Diego had 130,000 people show up at their event. And here's the thing, too. You, know, you mentioned with San Diego. San Diego, from what they're 
the the head of it said they had a near 750 hours of panels. That's, that's a lot of panels. That's man. more than any other year. And that's so, a lot. I mean, you know, with, with New York Comic Con, you got to think of it too. You got to look at the panels that they have. You know, with San Diego, they have what? All the major movie panels, you know. All H, man. All that's, H. Yep. You don't that's have anything the, like that at New York. No. And that's what I wanted to bring up. Like, yeah, they had Daredevil people there and stuff like that. But what I'm saying is when it comes to the movies, they don't have that. You know what I'm saying? They don't have a Hall H for, you know for what be I'm cool? seeing. What? Let, let's think about this. Uh, maybe it's playing off what you said. What if, and I think this, re- this could really set it off. What if New York Comic Con decided to do the same thing? Mm-hmm. But they got a venue like Madison Square Garden Ooh, uh, or something like that, like a classic venue. There's a ton of them in New York. I think that that's too that. much space, though, dude. Well, depending on what it is, think about it. If they had a Hall H-esque I, presentation from like Marvel see. or DC or so, somebody big. I'm not talking about just anybody like like the FX panel that San Diego had. I'm talking about something huge. I, I can Okay, they had a huge panel. They had, okay, say for instance, let's take the Civil War, Captain America Civil War okay, panel. Let's or, try, yeah, let's do that. Even though the movie is going to come out before, or I mean, before New York Comic Con, let's just use it anyway. Let's let's just let's just as an example, let's say this is a legit Marvel MCU yeah. panel. Okay, yeah, let's let's say that this is a Marvel MCU panel for whatever movie or whatever, and let's say they put it at Radio City Music Hall. That's fine too. Yeah, that works. That I think would work as a better venue than Madison Square Garden because Madison Square Garden talking about. Tons and tons of seats, and they wanted to look good, especially if they're going to start streaming stuff. You want it to look good. We'll so get into the C- streaming thing here soon, too. Right. So Radio City Music Hall, I think would be a better fit. Yeah, I can see that. You got people way out lying cosplay. That'd be kind of cool to see. You know what I'm saying? It'd be really cool to see because the NFL Draft is no longer Radio City Music Hall. They're moving it around. Yep. It's in Chicago now. Mm-hmm. They'd be really cool to see like, like a camera shot of just people in cosplay lined up for a panel at Radio City Music Hall. It'd be very cool. The reason I thought Madison Square Garden is because, you know, it's the most famous arena in the world, blah, blah, blah. Right. But Radio City Music Hall actually makes, that does make a lot more sense. And you can make this an event should you choose to do so. Now, I don't know how far any of these venues are from the actual con venue. And I know that distance to the venue would is makes a huge difference because you want people right. to be able to travel from those points without having, you know, jump in a cab and New York traffic and, uh, you know, everything like that. But it also would be not very neat to see people riding the subway in cosplay, too. I think that would, uh, <laughs> that would make for some very interesting photo shoots, I think. Oh, my God. That'd be amazing. It would be, it would be totally – it would really be totally awesome. But but the point – the other point that you brought up there was the streaming. And I was kind of surprised that we didn't really see any of that in New York this year because I really think that streaming and the capability to do so is one of those things that New York could do to kind of flip the bird at San Diego. Right. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, but again, it might be more with the creators and the studios saying no than it is with the cons. Right, I mean, we're obviously not saying that they should stream the screening of Jessica Jones or something like that. No, we're talking about, like, the Cup of Joe panel from Marvel and stuff like that. You know, I know Marvel did some live stuff from New York, but I don't don't think they did the panels, though. Well, remember, though, with San Diego, pretty much... It was like 24 hours after the panels happened, they released them all online. Yeah. I believe on YouTube or something like that. So, um, but I mean, you look at like something like San Diego and just the amount of money that it brings in. Like, like I, I found this in an article. This, this astounded the 
hell out of me. So they had 130,000 people show up, okay? Badges were $225 a piece. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Off of badges alone, they made $29,250,000. That's a lot of coin. Yeah. That is a lot of Mario hitting his head on a question mark. Yeah. I'm just saying, that's a lot of money. So think about that for a second. Imagine if New York could keep growing. Mm-hmm. In a market like that, you could make double that. Oh, yeah. Cause Easy. City, and I want to kind of bring it back a little bit to what you said about the whole media thing, you know, and, and, and stuff like that with New York with the panels. New York is the number one media market, you know, in America. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense to have those kind of panels. But, again, the problem you run into with certain movie panels is, of course, the movies come out during the summer. New York Comic Con is in the fall. So, again... Right, there, can, and therein lies a problem. You're right. Therein lies a problem. Like the only movie they could have right now as a panel for would be, like, Star Wars and stuff like that. Well, don't forget, they've got, you've got Hunger Games. You could technically right. do, like, a Deadpool thing. There's a lot of stuff that's coming out in March and April but and February again, right now. The problem with that, though, is San Diego is get the panels, gets the panels first, and then you get say they have their own Deadpool panel. If New York, ah, it's kind of tough. I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's hard, but think about it. They... They didn't have a legit. Remember, they didn't have a legit uh, trailer for Suicide Squad at San Diego. We got the teaser. You know, the teasers are like the the ninety second ones now, and the full trailers are like three minutes. So, what if by October you could have a full trailer, right? Something like that. Like Jessica Jones wasn't ready to be screened at San Diego, but it was ready. For New York. So, I mean, I think if you're in New York, you got to take what you can get, especially with studios starting to release stuff that matters at different times of the year. Remember, there was, there used to be that summer movie lull, right? Right. Once you hit like September, everything that came out after that was garbage. But now you've got Hunger Games that comes out in November. You've got Star Wars that comes out in December. Then Deadpool in February, Batman vs. Superman in March. They're, they're making it a year-round event now, the movie studios. So it's not as important. It's still really important because summer's still the biggest. But it's not as important as it was in years past to make sure you get those summer blockbusters. Right. And, you know, here's the thing, too. <clears throat> when you look at these two cons and everything else and all these summer blockbusters and the potential panels they can have, the problem is when you look at the game, you don't want these panels to copy each other. But, again, filming schedule plays a major role. And, yep, that's another good point. You know, fall is when a lot of things are start filming or in mid-season filming for TV and movies to kind of get underway a little bit as well. So, again, when you look at it, it's tough. New York is kind of in the bind because, again, they can't move it to – they can't move the date no. to summer, to any time in the summer because – San Diego's too close. Right, and don't compete with San Diego directly. I no. think that's ridiculous. And I think they and the one thing that's been great about San Diego, well, I mean there's a lot, but one thing that's wor- that works for them is they keep their time, their dates consistent. Right. And I think anytime you do something like this, anytime you do a con or a major event, you want to try and keep it around the same dates every year so people start to get used to oh New York Comic Con's coming out oh San Diego Comic Con Heroes Con well not only that you know what I'm saying but you have E3 to deal with as well and then there's E3 yeah <laughs> so and then I mean, ga- and Gamescom Gamescom's kind of like the <sighs> New York Comic Con to E3 kind of, yeah. to San Diego kind of thing it's almost the same comparison yeah exactly so I mean 
And we've been talking, we'll kind of reveal the curtain a little bit about us here at Down Nerdy. You know, we've been talking about, okay, maybe next year, a couple of years from now, which con do we think can we go to easier, you know, yeah. by way of travel and other things. And we said New York. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in Virginia. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some serious choices to be made there. I can either, you know, we can either drive, we can either drive to New York in about five or six hours, or we can hop on a plane for, or a car for three days and go to San Diego. Yeah. That's and financially. Hey, well, a plane for three days, I don't think would happen. It'd be more of just like, yeah, let's have a plane go across. The well, US I'm saying if we drove, days. it would take three days. Oh, if we drove, it would take three days. Yeah. But if we yeah. took a plane, it's we like, took a plane. It would be like, same it's ex- amount of time. It's, same, hell, it's expensive, but we might, you know, again, we don't know how flights are at that time and everything else, weather and what be. And then but, hotels and stuff like that. And well, I mean, you got hotels out of the way, but again, you got, uh, say, a plane ticket on average like $750, then you got to tack on an extra 100 whatever, between the two of us for a hotel and stuff like that. And I got to tell you, if we do take it, if you do drive to New York Comic Con, and we're, we would probably take your car, um, if I have to hear your singing for any time of the moment that we're driving to New York, I'm going to open my door and tuck and roll like grandma. I don't think you want to do that in New York, man. Oh, I mean, you know, the rats, they, they act as a pillow in a, for a landing spot. That is true, but I've seen I've been on the turnpike, and I don't think there's a whole lot of soft landing spots on there, on the Jersey <laughs> Turnpike, on the way to New York. You'd be, you'd be more apt to hit a dead body. Or some sort of a, a rotten tailpipe or tire or something like that that's been or, shredded or, into a million pieces. Or Jersey in general. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, there, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah. we're we're kind of heading towards the end of this segment, James. And so, what I want to do is this: instead of saying which one is better because we haven't been there, so I don't think we can really say it and answer yeah. that question. Let's do this. Let's highlight what one con does best that another con needs to maybe improve on and let's kind of see going towards the future what cons can do or what one con can do that maybe another con can't do i think for san diego one thing that they do extraordinary extraordinarily well is making it a spectacle yeah they make it an event they make it seem whether it's a big deal or not they make it seem like everything they do is a huge deal, and I think that they do that extremely well. What I don't think they do extremely well, and I think that because of the popularity that's getting worse, is accessibility to everything. Right. What I'm saying is, is that you shouldn't have to waste a day waiting in line for Hall H and miss everything else that's going on in a con. I realize Hall H's are a big deal, but... To sit outside for an entire day and and pay basically, you still have to buy your badge. So you're spending, like you said, the two hundred twenty five dollars for your badge to stand in line to get into one panel when you could experience so many other things. So I think I think if they made accessibility a little bit better, that would make them that would even put it up a notch, whether it be streaming or whatever. So I think that's one thing that they should improve on. Yeah, I, and the thing is, okay, with my thing with San Diego, I again, I do love that the whole city transforms. That's something that they got. When it comes to New York and that, New York falls to a victim of circumstance. They have over 8 million people in that city, and it's a huge-ass city, so there's no way. Maneuverability is, is their biggest problem. Yeah, so there's no way. You know, you're not going to go to, like, you know, Tribeca or, 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 you know, or Westchester or whatever like that to, you know, for a part of the con, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I think that with San Diego – you know, the thing I like that you, you know you talk about is the accessibility. That's something that they do need to improve on because you've seen these people waiting and camping out 
for Hall H for Hall H panel, it's only going to be like twenty minutes to a half hour. I think that what they can do is if say this, okay, you buy your badge. Here are say you, you buy your badge. Maybe make it like you said two twenty five. Make it make regular badges two twenty five. Maybe like for these t- certain types, other types of badges, maybe like two forty. Maybe make Hall H a separate badge. No, what I'm saying is this: have people maybe spend extra money outside of the 225 badge for a different badge where they get to pick and choose, like get tickets to certain panels. Make the panels a ticketed event. Okay. So that way that people are like, okay, I spent $250 for this badge, so I get to go to these Hall H panels, and I get to choose which one I want to go to. Yeah, the only, I- the only danger with that is you buy a ticket for a panel, somebody doesn't show up, somebody wants to get in, and they can't right. kind of thing. So I understand. I, I see there's pitfalls there, too. I understand, but I mean, who knows? I, I, they'll have to figure that out. But like, and again, you know, people are saying, well, "What about the people who didn't buy the other badge?" Well, they want to go to Hall H. There are other panels. Like I, I was, I was there's other good panels. I was, listen, well, I was listening to somebody who was there the other day talk about San Diego Comic Con, and they said, you know, if for every Hall H panel you wait for, you're missing three, four other panels. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, like, and, that, and that's the point. Like, instead of waiting for, I'm sorry, I love Deadpool, but instead of waiting for the Deadpool Hall H panel, I would love to just go to the Archer panel. Or go to the Vertigo panel. Yeah. Or something like that, because there was a lot of big news that happened at some of these other panels. And I think that the panels, I mean, I know that they did, like Cup of Joe, they did the same panel at San Diego and New York, but I don't think that there was any, I don't think one was necessarily better than the other. Yeah. So, I mean, there was there was new information that could be had at those panels. And I think that what New York does best is not trying to copy San Diego right? in a weird way. Because I've said it a million times on this show, whether it's movies or whatever, you can't beat somebody by being who they are. So New York's trying to do things a little bit differently. And every year, what do we see? We see steady improvement from New York, whether it be the coverage or the things that they're bringing to the table. We're seeing steady improvement. I think that steady improvement is, I'm saying maybe in five years, maybe they're on the level. The one thing I think New York Comic Con did really, really well this year is the type of panels they had compared to San Diego. They had yeah. one on diversity and mm-hmm. women in comics mm-hmm. and you know and, and other certain things, you know, Vertigo panel, everything else like that. The cup you know, the morning cup of Joe panel and stuff like that. The panels felt different, but they felt fresh. You know what it, I'm saying? It felt like it felt like smaller con panels in a bigger setting. Yeah. And I know that they did. They did some. They did kind of a dessert, diversity panel in San Diego, but it wasn't the same. No, it was different than the one that they did in New York. So yeah, that, I think that one of the things that people miss when they go to these big cons, ironically, is the small con feel. And I think that New York, ironically, might be tapping into that more than San Diego. Yeah, New York Comic Con. If I had to compare it to any other Comic Con, again, I, we haven't been there, but just from the look and just from the videos that we've watched from from this past weekend. It has a very Baltimore con esque to it. Yeah. Feel. I mean, there's a lot of comic creators, everything there too. But again, it just feels like yeah, that, that, that that's what it's for and everything else. Because you got to look at the panels too. There's a lot more comic panels that happen there compared to San Diego. San Diego is all about the movies, whereas New York they have a few TV panels. Yeah, they did very well. Yeah. But everything else is comic. Um, however, I will point this out, James. The one sad thing about New York Comic Con is that. Grumpy Cat got more people going to see it, see that, than Frank Miller. Think about that. Grumpy Cat had more people coming to this booth than Frank Miller. Face palm. Yeah. I know we don't have video on the show. 
face palm. Yeah. Well, I, I can't. Mean, well, I can't do double face palm. So you I'm just. Me out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't think I don't think face nubs the same. No. And plus, you could poke your eye out, and that wouldn't be good for anybody. It's, uh, I suppose it sounds overly sexual. It re- yeah, it really does. Uh, let's get the let's get the uh, the Hindu people on that immediately. <laughs> it's time to amend the Kama Sutra immediately. <laughs> We've got something new. <laughs> We've got this new book. <laughs> well, you know, re- reboots are all the rage these days. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, so, who wrote this one? Ah, uh, some white guy from New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Wait, what is this new position? It's called the the, the sewing merc. Yeah, that's where Kobe takes a famous character, sews his mouth shut, and fucks him over. Yeah, that that's just wow. That's that's some next level stuff right there. It's like a gimp suit, except you just sew the lips shut. Sounds like something that they would do in American Horror Story Hotel. Pretty much. That, yeah, that that's the kind of level it's at right now. But that's the type of stuff we do on this podcast, and again, that's going to bring an end. To this week's podcast, we thank you all from all over the world listening to us each week. Numbers are great, as always. Um, you can hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash downnerdy. We're also at downnerdypodcast.com. We even have a number you can call anytime ask us a question. It's 757-512-8229. And when you hear James's voice at the tone, leave a message. And, hey, we'll, we'll play it back maybe if you like for us to do that so you can be on the podcast. And also, hey, who knows? We'll use your question, and it could spark a, maybe a main topic for when we don't you have. You never know. Yep, you we, never know. Never know. Um, we're also on Twitter. I we're on Twitter at downer seven five seven. I'm also at Merc with one arm, Mister with them. I'm at James Ace with them. By the way, if you need to know how to spell that, that's W I T H. AM. And don't forget, on our website, we also have links to our Amazon store where you can go buy all the nerd stuff that you need, statues, video games, stuff like that. Plus, we'll also, there's a section on there called This Week where you can actually look at this week's show where you can find out what we talked about in nerd news and get a little preview of what's going to be coming up in the show and the comics. We've got two comics that we review on the website outside of the comics we review for what we're reading on the show. Exactly. What you do is you go to the downerypodcast.com and there's a tab called reviews and there will give you two options as well as James is reading, well as Nick is reading, which of course is myself, and we do two different comics this week. Now, James, what did you do this week on the website? Uh, I'm trying to think. I think I did G.I. Joe. Joe, yeah, from IDW, the prelude to uh, Cobra World Order. Yeah, but I did a Dark Horse comic. It was more like a creep show kind of spooky thing. It was very, very good. Yeah, it was like the but Goon one-shot, right? It was, it was a Goon one-shot from Dark Horse, and it was amazing. So go check out my review. You know, I already told you it's amazing. Go check out why. I said it's amazing. That's you right. Can, and you can actually get past reviews on there, too. There's a nice little scroll at the bottom if you might yep. have missed one. If there's a comic, like, oh, I was thinking about getting into uh, Dr. Fate. Well, there's reviews back there that we might have reviewed it. Exactly. And also, there is a link on the reviews to pick up that comic digitally yes. Yes. if it's from Amazon. So, again, they'll take you right to our Amazon store where you can buy a copy of that comic if it tickles your fancy like it did ours. But as always, I leave you with this, nerds. Practice safe comic book reading. Always bang and board your comics.